I'm I'm so excited about the conversation because uh, y'all are really the first ones who've gotten the chance to uh, do a podcast at all in this. Um, I you know I went to Genre Blast last weekend with the world premiere, and yeah. then we ha- we had like um, there was somebody there who kind of like did an interview with us. But other than that, it's just sort of like letterboxed and audience response and people in the lobby. That's the only feedback I've gotten so far. So. My team and I are dreadfully curious how people are responding to this movie because some of the things have been very, very strange, very confusing. Um, I, we, we think people are not entirely sure what to do with it in some ways. So I'm, I'm so excited to talk about it. Uh, hi, Michelle. It's nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, Clark, and then that's Russell. Um, and so, oh boy, did someone just break into the house? No. <laughs> The wind took the front door. Whew, that was a very loud thud. So, um, Russell and uh, I, I used to be a part of it, but uh, uh, a runs a found footage film festival. And as soon as you mentioned lobby talk, that is something that is sort of the cornerstone of the unnamed footage festival. And uh, Russ, you love lobby talk, and, and and actually, like part of the way how we constructed the the on site portion of the festival is sort of centered around lobby talk and, and because we, we always, um, you know, everyone will vote on the, uh, the films that were in competition and then everyone sort of congregates into the lobby because we got to clear out the theater for the next showing. And so naturally we're trying to, you know, engage and, and, and you know, get conversation going. And um, we have had plenty of good conversations and a lot of good things have come from lobby talk. So, so what are, what are people saying about uh, your movie so far? Um, I, I think my favorite response, there's, there's a filmmaker who I, I really respect both him and his wife, Mike Epstein and Sophia Cassiola, um, who make in, incredible features and are some of the most prolific and pragmatic filmmakers that I know. Um, not only are they very talented and they're very supportive, but they, they also are very honest and, you know, they're very open about the industry and, um, about all of our place in it. And, um, Mike Epstein's kind of a hard, a hard guy to impress. And I remember walking out of the theater and he was talking to some people and I came up to him and he just turned to me and he said, holy shit. <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay, holy shit out of Mike. That's, uh, that's an accomplishment in itself. Yeah. Um, I, I would say that the response was really positive on the whole. Um, we ended up winning audience choice at Genre Blast. Oh, congrats. Um, and it wasn't just because some of my cast insisted on voting for us. I voted for <laughs> Rhyme or Die, and so did Michael Smallwood. We don't think that's ethical. Um, but yeah, like they they were very very supportive of the fa- of, of the of the film. Um, and a lot of them, I, I think the the most, I think the thing that I was most happy with is that they got it. Because with a movie like this, um, there's a lot of different interpretations. You can walk away with it. You can sit in for a found footage thriller and sort of ignore all of the social commentary in it. You can walk away complaining that there's too much social commentary in it. You can walk away thinking that some of it was on point, but then some of it was a little too insular to the YouTube community. Um, You know, there's kind of like a pre-existing knowledge that might be helpful going into a movie like this of what let's plays are, what the online gaming sphere is like, um, what life is like for content creators. Um, but that didn't seem to be a barrier for entry for anybody. I think everybody sort of related to it or found things to relate to in it. And, um, they liked the characters, which was another thing that I was a little worried about going into it, that 
you know, people are going to go in thinking, oh, this is a movie where we hate YouTubers and they're the most annoying people ever. We want to see them suffer. Um, but I tried to write an ensemble piece that had um, flawed, very flawed, but also relatable characters and to show that, you know, these characters are the product of their environment, that content creation as a system is kind of the problem more so than the people who participate in it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think that, uh, video games are huge. Streaming is huge. And, and even if you're not into either one of those things, watching a film like this, uh, I think is going to be relatable for most people just because the internet, you know what I mean? It's like, and it's in it. And also again, uh, knocking on our dear friend, coronavirus 19, uh, you know, everyone got very used to talking to each other, you know, on a computer screen. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, things like that are, 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 are mainstays in the culture just at, at, at large. So, you know, I think that you really tapped into something, a, a medium that is uh, very relatable, you know, to the masses, even as something as specific as, you know, gaming and, and things like that. It's all very relatable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, oh, go so, ahead. Yeah, there's. It's interesting that your first feedback came out of a film fest because part of me believes that they're not even your audience. And what I mean by that is I remember looking at a statistic of like popular culture and art and film is just, it's thriving and like we love it, but most people, they could take it or leave it. And film is something that is Netflix on in the other room where video games are huge and they're still growing. And that culture I still think is coming to a reckoning with like, can you really have an industry where it takes five years to make a game that will be appreciated for a month? Mm -hmm. Like the turnaround is crazy. Yeah. And I think a lot and of Elder people. Elder Scrolls 7 is like 15 years away or yeah. something. <laughs> and, and it will come out and people will dive into it and try and speed run it immediately. And you're like, dude, you got to kind of treat it like a movie. And at least that's the way I do it. Like here, my, my personal little journey right now that I'm on is with Boulder's Gate 3. Oh, yeah. Now, I don't have enough time to dive into that game like I used to when it first came out, the original. Like that, I was in high school and that's all I would do. Now I have like an hour that I make at one in the morning where it's like, and once a week. And I'm playing with two other people who have already beat it. So there's this weird negotiation where I feel a need to rush through the game because they already know pretty much everything going on. Well, that's not fair because Baldur's Gate 3 has a lot. It's a very good sandbox game, but it's a different experience than it is with a movie. And I, I know we're out here in the Bay Area. We put on an in-world camera film fest and there are like old school film critics who come out and they watch any movie where the protagonist is a live streamer and they instantly think this is a tired story about a person who is fake online and they have to come to a reckoning with who they really are. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, go watch Chad Gets the Axe because it's not that. Mm -hmm. And these movies have more to offer. And honestly, the editing process and the craft is a little bit different. So we get the journey that you went on here. And, you know, like, how do you craft a chat room? How do you uh, make a pot or like a realistic view count? Like, these are things that new like younger kids pay attention to and will immediately ruin the immersion also michelle i'm gonna give you a heads up <laughs> russell is obsessed with with, yeah. with chats 
and viewer counts and things like that. And so I imagine we, we, we want to talk about um, uh, live scream as well as, as live screamers as well, because we, we, we saw them both in, in pretty quick succession here. And um, what was it? A couple of weeks ago, we talked. Who was it we talked to? And, and 50% of that conversation was centered around you we, talking we about talked their to chat. Chad feature. Gets the X. Yeah. yeah. We talked to a couple of dudes from there, and um, I couldn't help but talk about their chat. Yeah. Have you seen that film? I have not yet. I know it just came out on VOD a couple of weeks ago, so I haven't caught it yet. Also, we had... Uh, well, keep an eye out for the chat feature. <laughs> we, we had Michael Very and Sophie on the show like a month ago. Oh, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah, they came on because they made. They also made a couple of in-world camera films. Oh, yeah. It Wants and Future Smash is a mockumentary, and, and that screened yep. at Genre Blast as well. Yeah, those two are veterans of like the indie horror scene. So for them to come give you props is, but you know, it's interesting because your first film, Live Screamer, that almost feels like a mumble gore film. Like, <laughs> like I have- Live craft- Scream. Yeah, Live Scream. Yeah. what I say? Live Screamer, which does not exist. So here's the thing. <laughs> live, now with your title, like, was there a reason you didn't go Live Scream too? Uh... <laughs> Uh, mostly I just, I knew that I wanted it to be multiplayer. So I, I went the James Cameron approach. I just, oh, uh, well, and, also, JC. And, and also <laughs> I, I it, it is such a, what do you do? It, it, <laughs> it is such a, um, different, it's such a different movie in a lot of ways. I mean, I think yeah. thematically it's the complete opposite. Um, it's also way higher budget. It's also, you know, we lose the chat in favor of having other people in the room. So mechanically mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Uh, so I wanted it to be an entry point. I didn't want people to feel like, oh, I can't see Live Scream 2 because I haven't seen Live Scream and Live Scream is like this low budget, you know, mumble gore movie, as you say. And, you know, I, I I wanted it to kind of be a fresh start on both the festival circuit. And if, you know, people are just on amazon.com, like looking for a movie to watch or whatever, and they see live screamers, you know, it, it's, it sounds like a standalone film. So that was kind of the motivation. Now, also, I want to make it clear when I say mumble gore, that is a bonus. That's a feature, <laughs> not a bug. Yeah. I um, love the aesthetic of the first film and but, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, clearly we we like talking to indie filmmakers and your new film looks so polished. I'm like, whoa. So I don't know. I got a lot of questions about the first one and I don't want to spoil the new one. We're sure. good on that. right? Great. Yeah, you're only in the you're only on the <laughs> festival circuits right now. Right. Oh, we've only screened one place. So uh, oh, we're, 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 we're pretty, pretty early on in the run. Are you doing more? Uh, yeah, yeah. We, we've actually got, um, for any listeners who might be in the Detroit or Michigan area, we're actually hosting an event uh, on October 7th and 8th called Octopunk Detroit, which is our own self-hosted event. Um, we're going to screen live screamers with six of the cast members. They're going to do a Q&A. There'll be autographs on the second day. We're also doing a karaoke costume party and stuff. So anyone in That's the Michigan... Great. In Michigan area, you can catch it there. Um, well, apparently, we're also screening at Horror Origins in Tucson, Arizona at the end of September as well. So that one's a lock. Uh, and then more to come in October. And, and then New York City Horror Film Festival in December. So if anybody's in the New Rad. York area. Nothing like a Tucson September. <laughs> Going to be a nice, cool 112. I unfortunately cannot attend. Um, I would really like. I would really like to attend. Actually, Jed Shepard from Host is going to be there, oh, uh, and I would love to meet him in person. But um, yeah, and unfortunately, it's like six days before my Detroit event, and I just I can't do those back to back trips, especially because I have to play on my Detroit event. I have to be in charge. Yeah. So, damn, Jed's an interesting character. I would love to hear what he thought of your film. 
But I now I again I don't know if you had any direction you wanted to go immediately, but I, I have to ask about Octopunk and mm-hmm. your background. Are you more of a film fan or a game fan? Or did you just want to be like a streamer? Um, so it, it was definitely film first. I've wanted to be a filmmaker since I was about seven years old. Um, and I, I made movies and stuff as a kid growing up. I was the producer of my school's new show. Like I was always attached to film and video in some way as a kid back when we used, you know, mini DV tapes and high eight tapes instead of DSLRs. Um, but then, uh, I went to college and I, I graduated high school, like in the middle of the recession. And I wanted to be really pragmatic with what I majored in. So um, I ended up majoring in chemistry and I was a chemist for four Shit. years. And damn. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> that, yeah. Oh, don't worry. I was terrible at it, which is why I'm no longer a chemist. Um, I burnt out of that after like four years. I mean, I was just, I was quite bad at holding a nine to five. My brain's just not built for it. Uh, and on the side to get out of that job, I started going back to video and, and back to film and, you know, it started off shooting weddings and trying to build a livelihood outside of chemistry. And I was making short films on the side and learning this crazy little new thing called DSLRs and digital filmmaking, which was new to me at age 25. And um, over the next few years, uh, just made a few short films, made Live Scream in 2018. Uh, and then, and then I got really entrenched in the world of fan films for a few years. Um, I made a very gay Detroit Become Human fan film series called Detroit Evolution and Detroit Reawakening, um, which really resonated with fans of that game who were like in the shipping fan fiction corner of the fandom, uh, which I've always been into as a, as a young person as well. And so, um, you know, we kind of found an audience through that and, and that audience followed us over to our original stuff. So, you know, we were able to produce Michael Smallwood's Plantation Wedding Horror Short, What a Beautiful Wedding, which went on the festival circuit last year. Uh, we were able to crowdfund live screamers and make it bigger and better than the first one. Um, and, you know, we've been able to host these events in New York, Munich, London, and now Detroit. And they they come and see us and support our stuff and meet each other and it's a really good time. So it's, it's kind of, um, film goes back really far for me in terms of gaming. I didn't really get into games until my twenties. Cause I, I never had a games co- console growing up. It was just never something that my family gave to me. And I got into games sort of through let's play culture, like in 2013, 2014, you know, by watching Rooster Teeth and Markiplier and Jacksepticeye and outside Xbox and all these people who, kind of caught me up to speed in some ways of like 20 years of gaming culture that I had missed out on. And so, you know, starting with live scream, I put that love of let's play culture into that film. Uh, I love Detroit become human. So that kind of led me into the making video game movies in that universe. Uh, and then circling back to live screamers, you know, more video game stuff in the horror realm. And now I, I am actually I'm, I'm in a game development course uh, right now. Actually, I'm making a 2D side scroller, which was not what I signed up for. I thought we were going <laughs> to do more Unreal Engine stuff, and I would be able to do that class in my sleep. Uh, and now they're like, no, 2D art and Unity, and 
like, look, I can do 3D cinematics all day long. Like that's, that's super easy to me now after doing live screamers, but doing a 2D walk cycle for a character just. <laughs> oh, those 2D me. walk cycles. I mean, am I right? I'm not an artist. That's why it's such a struggle. I can't draw. So like this, that's, that's, that's hard. I, I cheat a lot in the live screen movies. I, I, I cheat a lot. So 3D is easier to me than I can't think in cartoons. It's just, I can't do it. So um, so yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm learning more about game development from, from a, an engine and an art standpoint, but also from a mechanical standpoint, from a narrative standpoint. Uh, and I definitely see myself, uh, diving more into actual video game development as, as time goes on. And, and that's why it's Octopunk Media and not Octopunk Films. Cause even back in, you know, 2018, when I gave it that name, I knew that I wanted to tell stories in more ways than just cinema. Well, you're just a smart marketer. That's just, that's what that is. <laughs> you know, you're casting a bigger net. Now, uh, Russ, before you jump in there, I, 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 I owe this conversation <laughs> nothing but, but honesty and transparency. And I feel like we're heading in a certain direction uh-huh. in this conversation. And I don't want to be uh, cast as uh, stolen valor in any way. So I just need to provide Michelle with some background information um, that you were a gamer, Russell. Uh, Michelle's like, well, you, yeah, you game. You just mentioned Boulder Dash. I don't Boulder's, even know what that is. He didn't even know what Boulder's Gate was. There I'm you like, go, dude. What do you think okay. I've been doing in now, this room? No, I, yeah. I game every day, but I have my games. Okay, <laughs> I'm a sports gamer. I live in my own little world. Okay, so if we start getting into you know these conversations about the game, I, I'm going to have to you know ask some questions. So, Michelle, something that impressed me um, with the first film with live scream is the, the different types of games that we're playing within the film and within the one game that we're supposed to be playing different types of formats again, like, you know, at one point we're, we're dealing with some eight bit characters and then more, you know, traditional, again, I'm I'm already speaking about things I I don't know how to describe, but it's funny. Now I watched the movie. We have another producer in here, Oksana, uh, my love. And she was sitting next to me on the couch and, I, I had the same reaction, except I'm sure we thought about it differently. Like I turned to Oksana, I'm like, holy shit, she she under she knows horror games. All of those games are like popular subgenres that clearly every time we get a filmmaker on here who made a movie about a content creator, I'm always like, Oh, what YouTubers do you like? Have you been keeping up with the drama? Like, God, yeah. the Chad gets the axe. Those dudes were like, they did a great job, but they were not content like fans they don't, they're not twitch streamers or anything you get it though and just the names that you mentioned of the let's play people you're already in a different league so i league of legends see like, <laughs> i know that now i can't you do you know how excited i was that you put a version of that slender man page hunting force <laughs> that game i never understood that and i watch a lot of let's plays and we used to do a stream on twitch where we would just play basically we would just drink and play any hin- indie horror game that one I never understood because that that doesn't predate Slenderman, right? Like that's a like how did Slenderman turn into hunt a page in the woods? <laughs> amnesia, because that was <laughs> I mean, I mean, really, uh, yeah. am, Amnesia was sort of the first indie horror game of the 2010s, I would say like that. The, it was really the first like 
it was really one of the first let's play horror games. Um, it launched a lot of careers like Markiplier got started with Amnesia. I think Jacksepticeye might have also like got started with Amnesia. I mean, back in like 2012, that's kind of where these guys were getting their audience was by playing Amnesia. And Amnesia is the first game that I can think of in the indie horror sphere that kind of had that like stop and look at a page mechanic. Yeah. And it wasn't a collectathon the way that Slender Man is, but it was a it was how the game conveyed story. Um, and I, I mean, you could probably go back to Resident Evil with that sort of thing as well. I think Resident Evil is like the granddaddy of survival horror video games, and Resident Evil finally got homaged in live screamers. <laughs> we didn't really do anything with it in the first in the first live scream, so I was like, okay, yeah, no, I need to. I need to build this entire next movie around Resident Evil because I sort of ignored its existence in the first um, movie. But yeah, I, d I don't know. I think it was just sort of like creepypasta was kind of taking off in like the early 2010s and Slender Man was the one everybody knew. And, you know, you've seen it and more recently. They'll, they'll pick a cryptid and like it'll be hot for a while. Like Siren Head was like the new Slender Man for a while, like <laughs> yeah. four years ago. You know what's uh, crazy? Trevor Henderson, we had him on the show like six years ago. Mm. And I, I remember talking to him. He had 2000 followers on Instagram. And I'm like, dude, he, he stumbled onto the take a picture and I'll put a monster into it. Like he created that. And I'm like, you're going to blow up. And then I remember I was watching fucking Dashy play uh, Siren Head. And I'm like, is that fucking Trevor's character? Yeah, he, he big timed us. <laughs> <laughs> he, he used to do the art for the film fest, too. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It, you know, I think there's a crossroads here with uh, our in-world camera. So, you know, my, my elevator pitch to people is our film fest, the Unnamed Footage Festival. We do everything Blair Witch. But that's not really true. It's anything where the characters are also making the movie. Mm -hmm. And I think it gets a little complicated with live streamers because you're always wondering from what perspective we're watching. Like, are we an audience and we're tuning into the live stream or are we uh, like recorded on the computer of the live streamer? And live scream is the first one where I think it was pretty clear and you actually addressed it. And I'm like, you know, I don't think anybody else has done that. Like, can we talk a little bit about live scream? Also, just so you know. Well, we were, and then you went on this diatribe. I know. I can't <laughs> help it. I'm all over the place. I, uh, You've been on our radar since that movie came out, but I remember trying to contact you back then, and I could not get a hold of you. And now I'm listening to you, and it's like, how do you have any time to play a video game? <laughs> That's why I watch them so often, is because I can have somebody else do it for me in the background. Um, well, and, and and part of it as well is like with with festival screens. I think in in the case of um, unnamed footage, it's sort of been on my radar for a while too. But like, I think it, I was like done with my festival run or something, and or like it had already come out. And like once a film kind of comes out and is distributed, like I just don't do screenings anymore. Yeah. Um, so with with this one, I'm. <laughs> Also, 2018, 2019, it's kind of funny. I was so green at this and didn't realize how green I was. I mean, I made a 67-minute feature. I didn't know better. Well, <laughs> like, thank you for that. We appreciate it. <laughs> I mean, like, when I, when, when I went to go get distribution for it, they're like, this isn't long enough. We can't do anything with this. So I actually, like, made the credits slower just to pad it to yeah. 70 minutes. So <laughs> No one told Joe Swanberg that. Wow. I think you may be one of the only filmmakers I've ever heard actually come out and just say that. Oh, no, straight you know, up. Every, everybody knows. You're watching, like, dude, you have five people in this movie. Why is it taking 15 minutes? Yeah. But... <laughs> 
again, in the in-world camera game, we look at a short runtime and that I, there's something about it. It's almost like a utility title, like file 905. Like it kind of signals to that genre. Yeah. I don't know why they're shorter. And honestly, I kind of like it. I mean, yeah. honestly, there, you know, there are a handful of, you know, in-camera films that are Long? over two hours. Yeah. And, and a lot of them overstay their welcome. Too. I can't imagine watching. Like, I think with, so any, with anything that takes place in real time, which yeah. is kind of, you know, the, the screen life movies um, like mine and, and even some found footage movies that are traditional found footage, they, they mostly take place in either real time or a very condensed period of time. And there's only so much you can sort of use narrative tricks and editing and things like that to like get in the way of your characters and extend the plot longer than it needs to be. So, yeah, I, I think that found footage movies are really, really great at not overstaying their welcome or not even kind of being tempted to stay, overstay their welcome yeah. the way that I think traditional narrative films can kind of be more self-indulgent about certain things. Um, whereas, like, I, I mean, when I wrote the script for Live Screamers, it was a hundred pages. And I remember somebody like who maybe wanted to finance it was like, we need to get this down to like 85 or 90. And I was like, Oh, don't worry. The final film's going to be 90 minutes. The script's a hundred pages, but the runtime's going to be a tight 90. And they didn't believe me, but I would, <laughs> but I, but I was like, no, like I, I know sort of based on live scream, like what the pacing works out to be and what it translates to. And I also knew that because it's in real time, there's not really anything you can like cut. Like it needs to be figured out in the script stage rather than, you know, you shoot a bunch of stuff and you figure it out in editing. Like you, you can't just cut a whole scene out of the movie because, you know, everything that you're building upon narratively builds on itself. So, you know, I, you'd have a character that's just not in the movie anymore, which doesn't make any sense. Like you need to show them getting killed off. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I like it too. I think that's one of probably the most attractive things about found footage for me as well is like, I, I like a short running time. I really do. Any, to anything that's over 90 minutes really should earn its running time. That's right. Keep it moving. We got things to do. <laughs> it, you know, it, it's funny though, because I think the short runtime really does just signal to an indie distribution, mm -hmm. which if you've been in the film game a long time, you know that can mean anything can happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you're running through a studio, you're probably going to get a lot filtered out. But if yeah. you've just dropped your movie on Amazon Prime, who the hell knows what's going to be behind that rental? But everything is. Yeah. Everything's being added with water right now. It's like the run times are just. I know. Out of this world. I, 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 I watched yeah. the uh, the live action Little Mermaid on Disney Plus. I just put it on, you know, just to see what that was all about. Two hours and 20 minutes long. Yeah. And I was like, this movie has no. <laughs> business being two and a half hour we've already made this movie and it was 80 minutes and it was great what are we doing <laughs> well you know i think that's a reflection of theater culture now and i think to get people into the theater they're like it's got to be it has to be an event, event. Yeah. yeah it's the marvelization of cinema mm -hmm. which i mean i don't think they're wrong though right like like why well, it's the constant battle between art and commerce We've been down this road. And marketing. I mean, like, um, yeah. so our buddy, our buddy brought to the attention, to our attention that the new Exorcist movie just got bumped up a week. Did mm. y'all know about this? Because Taylor Swift <laughs> concert. Jay Leno? I know. You Taylor, about this? Taylor Swift's concert was going to come out the same day, which is oh, Friday no. the 13th. T-Swizzle. The, the, the thing is, Taylor, her crowd doesn't fuck around. 
No? Like they pay. To oh, you sit- mean the world? <laughs> they pay to sit in the parking lot of a concert. Psychos. So they are. She sold out theaters, like traditional movie theaters, and uh, Jason Blum was just like, "Well, fuck," because he, <laughs> he put out originally that it was going to be the extra swift. And he was trying to do a Barbieheimer oh. thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Barbieheimer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Heimer. God, I always want to say Heimer. See, that's wrong. That just shows. <laughs> that's not correct. That just shows you how, how he's sharp. Yeah. You know, he, 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 he's like, okay, I can turn this into an opportunity. And then he realized there's no opportunity here. No. There's <laughs> nothing but a roadblock. And then he pivots. He realized yeah. that people were scalping movie tickets. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. oh, I'm fucked. So he yeah. put out another tweet, hashtag Taylor wins. <laughs> and they bumped it a week forward. Hey, I, so, I mean, I yeah. get it. And honestly, you know, the thing about an in-world camera feature is they're kind of demanding of the audience. And you really, you veered into a Von Trier, not Von Trier. Um, who's our favorite multi-camera director? Genre guy. He directed Scarface. De Palma. De Palma. Where we have multiple cameras going. And I know from Lobby Talk at our fest that the younger generation, they fucking stick with it. And you, and like unfriended, you can have a full screen with a loaded up uh uh what the hell is the taskbar? Man, my words are failing me today. Yeah, and yet you keep talking. I, <laughs> but yeah, they stick with it, and they'll read everything and stay on board. So I don't know. I think we're just aging out older people. Um, but with live stream, I did have a question there. Mm-hmm. Now, in that film, now with the craft from the old movie to the new one, I noticed a big change. And it looked like I had an editing question and in unfriended, you're talking about pacing of like real time. And the thing that's beautiful about unfriended is it feels like it's all unfolding in real time where with live scream, I think it might've actually unfolded in real time. Did you do that all in one shot? In three. Um, it was, uh, we tried to do it all in one, but I reviewed the footage and I thought that Gunnar Willis lead actor um, kind of lost his stamina after about an hour of doing that. And you could kind of tell on screen. Um, so what we ended up doing is he has a couple checkpoints where he sort of walks off screen and then comes back, which allowed him, which allowed us to cut and, you know, sort of take a break, even though a lot of people don't even notice that those are there because they're nope. watching the chat or they're watching the gameplay or whatever when he walks away. Yeah, because it's all immersive. You're in the thing. Yeah. yeah. And it, uh, yeah, I didn't notice it. Or, or, or they just don't sort of think about like, oh, that was an opportunity to edit. 100%. You know, just doesn't, doesn't clock. So, um, yeah, no, it was a 15-minute take, a 35-minute take, and then a 15. So so definitely long takes for him. Um, and pretty much, yeah, in, in real time. We shot it in a, in a couple days. So it was a very simple production process from the standpoint of he just sat in my living room and I put a webcam on him and I put a pre-visualization <laughs> of the game and we just – we just ran and, you know, if, if he messed up or if he got out of sync too much with the pre-visualization to the point where I wouldn't be able to kind of fix it in post, I wouldn't be able to get the timing right later on, it would be too big of a gap, et cetera. Uh, you know, we would reset, but we really didn't have to reset that many times. I think we had to reset the second take two or three times, but uh, he was very professional, very, very much knew his lines and was great at improvising in between the lines as well. Um, I would say that the a lot of people think that the movie's improvised. It's not because, I mean, how could it be? There's yeah. way too many narrative things that have to there's a, there's way too many fun house effects that have to go off and cues and stuff for it to 
have not been scripted, but I would say that it's like the script plus 20% because I, I basically said to him, you know, never let there be dead air. Never let there be a moment where something's not happening, where you're not saying something because that's what makes it a convincing let's play. That's what it makes it a convincing um, as, as him being a streamer because streamers do not shut up. <laughs> they mm-hmm. all, they are always saying something. They don't just sit there silently, like having you watch them play this game silently. That's not the medium. So um, he was really good at taking that direction and being able to fill in the gaps. So how, what was the casting process like for the lead? Uh, so Gunner was, uh, I have a mutual friend, uh, Michael Whaley, who's another filmmaker, uh, and Gunner had worked for him a couple of times. Gunner had also worked for Tommy Faircloth, uh, in, in one of his features. Uh, and I know Tommy through Crimson Screen Horror Film Festival, which was based here in Charleston. And, uh, so, so Gunner was kind of like a, a localish guy in South Carolina, you know, worked with a lot of people before. And I auditioned him as well as auditioning, uh, some other people that I, I met through mutual friends, people that I knew, uh, I went to the local agency, Coastal Talent, and got a couple of auditions from there, uh, and ultimately narrowed it down to like three or four guys for callbacks. Uh, and then, you know, Gunner was just the most organic. I just, I believed everything he was saying. And whenever he would read uh, his audition sides or do a callback or do, um, you know, rehearsals, he was just so incredibly convincing. And that was the other thing that you have to cast for when you're doing a in-screen found footage movie or, or any found footage movie is you can't have them feel like actors. They mm-hmm. really do have to feel like they are a, a normal person. Uh, Thank and, you. And, and, and in live screen in particular, I mean, that movie would not work if it was not for the performance. I mean, it's one guy yeah. on screen the entire time. If he was bad or unconvincing, the movie wouldn't work. Um, and and to, also, it, isn't yeah. it important that you you need the audience to like him? Like that's also an important thing, right? I think I think with live scream, I I wanted the audience to like him. Yeah, and not everybody does. Uh, I've seen I've seen my Letterbox reviews, but also he was great. <laughs> <laughs> a lot, but a lot of people just don't like guys who scream at video games for a living. They yeah, find yeah. that sure. annoying and unlikable. So, um, but no, I, I wanted him to be sympathetic. I wanted him to very much just kind of be a normal guy who found something that he liked doing on the internet. Um, one of my favorite streamers uh, is Michael Jones from Rooster Teeth, who is known for being, he's the rage quit guy. He's known yeah. for being mean and angry and from New Jersey. And for a moment there, I was like, well, should I base him off Michael? Should I make somebody who's kind of like a jerk? But I was like, no, I'm going to go with somebody more like Markiplier or Jacksepticeye, yeah. somebody who's just sort of universally beloved and just kind of a nice guy. Um, with live screamers, I went a different approach. Um, yeah. I, I definitely, I had nine characters to work with. So I, I had a lot of opportunity to make people who were flawed, uh, and, and, and had various personality issues. <laughs> um, yeah. in addition to the ways that they sort of suffer, you know, uh, from various things that happen to them as content creators, but they all sort of, um, exist in the space bringing their own unique perspectives and experiences and identities and stuff to the table. And, and that has an impact on how they are received from the in-universe audience, how they are perceived from the film audience, and then how they are perceived by each other. So I didn't have to, I didn't have to be as generally likable with my cast and live screamers. Cause uh, you know, I was able to sort of sort that out over nine different characters instead of relying the entire movie on one person. All right. Can I ask? Sure. <laughs> I want to ask about the chat now. Now on live oh scream, mm-hmm. um, you, you made a unique choice here where the 
the stream opened up and he had a, a strong audience. I think it was 225 people mm-hmm. we, we stuck at. But we didn't and have even a, even mentioned that, like, you know, yeah. this, around 200. But we stuck there. Now, yeah. one, of, one of my complaints, and this goes for a ton of movies. Like, I could name the chats that felt authentic on one hand. Actually, I'll do it. I think Spree. Dashcam, Chad gets the axe. Those are the the three. See, Michelle, I told you he has a list. Just, <laughs> just loaded. He's well, just... It's the thing. So here's the thing with a horror game, and especially an indie horror game, they're rough, and they're a singular experience. So, as an indie game maker, you're asking one person to take a journey that isn't fully developed, and a lot of the times they're not even done. So they're really almost made for live streamers because you can have that singular experience, but also enjoy it with a bunch of people. And, you know, if a jump scare works, they're there with you. So it's like a perfect medium. It's a perfect marriage. And if you don't nail the chat, it's almost like a relationship where half of it is poorly written. You know what I mean? It's like a two-dimensional character. And it's like, well, it, it can't flourish that way. And that's really, with Livestream, it worked. Honestly, it felt kind of like the maybe the most real chat. Where it it feels like Twitch if you're like newish or doing okay. Mm-hmm. And there's an eerie thing about a comment that will linger. Like if the chat's not blowing up the whole time, mm-hmm. somebody could say something and maybe it was in the middle of an argument and then they leave. And then 10 minutes later, nobody said anything. It's there. It's kind of like a haunting. And it worked really well in there. But I mostly wanted to talk about <laughs> the fucking viewer count. This is a thing that people just go wild with. And it's like anytime something interesting happens, it'll spike 10x. We're like, we had 100 people. Now it's 1,000. Now it's 100,000. Now we're in the, and it's like, dude, that never fucking happens. No. <laughs> never. And it never feels organic. But in this one, it was almost like a character. Like you knew the whole time who was, yeah, I'm just curious, like what you designed that after. Um, I mean, it was, it was sort of. It, I would like to say that I did a lot of Twitch stuff at that point, and I had a personal experience. I really didn't have a personal experience being a streamer till a year later, um, and was thankful to find that it was mostly accurate to my experience when I um, when I started streaming for an audience as well. Uh, I I do find that in a lot of movies like Spree, which I really love, I, I yeah. love I love Spree a lot, uh, and I like Deadstream too. I think both of those movies are a lot of fun. Um, it does seem like they just utilize the chat differently than I did. I feel like the chat is a reflection of society, quote unquote, um, and just sort of like an amorphous audience. Whereas my chat had individual characters in it. My chat was the other characters in the movie in addition to the person streaming. So the, the individual things that were being said in the chat, as well as being able to connect back and keep track of who was saying them was actually important in my movie instead of just like, oh, you have like a stream of emojis or something like that. That's probably a little bit more accurate to an Instagram live or something like that. Like if, if you had an Instagram live and you had a thousand viewers, your chat absolutely would look like what it looked yeah. like in Deadstream or, or in Spree or something like that. Um, you know, it would just be kind of a lot of noise. And I think that those movies use that noise to good effect because that's sort of what you're supposed to walk away feeling. Like you're supposed to feel the chat more than necessarily read it. But uh, but no, it was a narrative device in live scream. It was absolutely meant to be read, and you were meant to get to know and sympathize with the people who were in it, um, particularly the the moderator character, Jumping Wolf. So um, yeah, like I, I it's it's a fine line because it's like, is it the most accurate chat to real life? Maybe not, um, but also I, it is 
I think the only chat that I've seen in a movie that has used it as a narrative device kind of in the way that I did. Uh, but I will say that there are reasons why I got rid of it in live screamers. <laughs> I'm glad I, I'm glad I didn't have to do with it, deal with the chat in live screamers because man, like trying to get distribution in foreign markets when you got English on screen the entire oh, movie is really oh, hard. Interesting. <laughs> I never thought of that. Interesting. Yeah, that would be a huge problem because I imagine any other country, like Japan, would be easy because they have a big culture there. Bringing that over here, what the fuck do you do? And also, I mean, you know, like you said, Michelle, everything is bigger in the second one. So the chat's going to have to be twice as big as well. So and then that's that's just another thing to manage. And and, you know, so, yeah, I get it, man. That's really clever. You know, I coming in. So I think you have a cool opportunity here where a lot of people will watch your new film first. And then there's kind of like a rich backstory to discover after. And you don't hide from it. Like part of me was worried that maybe in live stream, you're like not happy with the product and you're like, okay, well I have a new movie that can be like the vehicle, but you kind of showcase the film in a cool, like hidden internet urban legend kind of way. Like it almost makes the first film like kind of like, I don't know, like lampshaded because er like urban legend kind of video games are a thing. And I don't know of any, like, literally, but I know Creepypasta did a lot with, like, Pokemon and, like, just a lot of kind of spooky stories about buying a used video game. I don't know. I feel like it kind of did that for your first film. Yeah, I think uh, this isn't too spoilery to say. Uh, In Live Screamers, they make reference to, you know, Scott Atkinson, the character from the first movie and what he experienced. And they kind of talk about it like it's this thing that they found on Reddit, right? Like like an urban legend that they don't know if it's true. They think he was just some kook on the internet. Uh, and, And yeah, I think that that was probably the most ideal way to tie the two of them together. Cause I didn't want to ignore the first one at all. I think that there was strength in being able to acknowledge it and do callbacks. And there's actually quite a few subtle tie-ins and Easter eggs from the first film for people who really have watched them back to back and are paying attention. Um, but I, yeah, I, th- I think the idea that if people find live screamers and watch it as this kind of more polished video game uh found footage film and they get curious about it and they're like man what happened with that scott atkinson guy they go dig up this just like low low poly kind of like underground in real time with the chat movie you know that is the first one uh and that could be kind of fun to go back and like get the lore that way instead of um you know maybe maybe watching them in order yeah that'd be incredible that'd be the (laughs) coolest to go back and find that movie yeah (laughs) I so uh, in the in this in in live screamers, um, I believe uh, Nemo, one of the characters, mentioned. I I will forgo any sort of uh, context related to this uh, to Thank avoid you. spoileries. But uh, <laughs> spoileries? Uh, spoileries is a new word I came up with. <laughs> okay. I don't hate it. I like it. And <laughs> and he 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 basically he was saying, um, you know, that the game they were playing. Uh, he said, you know, that he got whoever procured said game got it off the dark web. So is, is that, is that something, and again, I'm pleading my ignorance here. Is that something, is there a culture of dark web video games? I know that Randy is our resident, uh, <laughs> tour expert. He's a tour whore, as I call it. He loves dark web. Uh, but is that, is that something that, uh, is a real thing? Uh, I think he was being mostly euphemistic. Uh, okay. so yeah, I, I, yeah, the idea is kind of that like, 
this game live scream was an urban legend that you know people like scott atkinson and other people had you know talked about on 4chan and reddit and and social media about like hey there's this haunted game it killed my uncle it killed my cousin it Mm -hmm. killed this guy i knew but it was always somebody you knew or a friend of a friend it was never you know a direct um person and, and nobody could really prove that it was real uh and so um i'm trying to avoid spoilers uh we can bleep too so so basically they um hmm how do i avoid spoiling this well they encounter it in in the idea that it is just sort of like uh they they don't believe that it's actually killing people there's no reason to believe sure there's there's so there's no reason to believe that it's actually killing people or anything and and they're sort of unaware of that um going into it and Really, the determining factor, and, and you can look out for this in live screamers and, and live scream as well. Um, the game has to be set on nightmare difficulty, uh, and that's that's never outright stated, but it is shown in both movies that Scott sets it to nightmare as a joke. Uh, yeah. But that is what starts the haunt for him ultimately. And uh, and a character in uh, I believe this is in the trailer actually. Uh, Dice sets the uh, the game to nightmare, sort of behind everybody's backs, um, because they're the best gamer and they're annoyed with some of the other people in the room who yeah. think that they're so great at horror games. And so Dice is kind of like, "Well, motherfuckers, I'm going to set you. To, I'm going to set this game to nightmare, and you know, we'll see how you like it now." A character uh, named Dice has to be that way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and unfortunately, um, that inadvertently turns out to be. Uh, the thing that makes it a deadly game for all of them. So, um, yeah, that is, it's, it's interesting to see pe- how people also take that moment as like, was that intentional? Were they trying to do something? And I guess you'll just have to watch the movie and see. Man, I really like how even the tone of the video games changes with your films. Like the first one is very indie horror, mm-hmm. but this new one, it feels like you pulled from a lot of like, I don't know if they're triple a, but they're very mainstream. Mm-hmm. Like uh, all of the uh, timed events reminded me of like uh, Dead by Daylight oh, yeah. or like Man of Madon, like the Larry Fessenden group, like Until Dawn for sure. Yeah. What, what other inspirations did you have here? Um, so definitely Resident Evil Until Dawn. The book House of Leaves is one of my favorite oh, yeah. books. Oh, boy. Uh, so, you know, you said the, the magic word. I know. <laughs> uh, book. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, no, that's, that's one of my favorite books. And I love architectural horror. I love the idea of house bigger on the inside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> house wrong size. Uh, and so there's a lot of that going on, too. You have, you have moments of time where it, architecture doesn't make sense and it's creepy um there okay, it, here, let me let me stop you there now everybody i get on here i already lamented about them not watching youtube or anything but the other problem is that the two guys i do the show with they don't respect youtube as a cinema medium okay you kind of do our pretentious engineer over here does not at i all. just want you to bring me something of quality <laughs> here's the thing i think my house.wad was one of the best documentaries i've watched have you seen that about the Doom mod? Um, oh, yeah, the, the house Doom mod. I've watched a playthrough of that. Did you? Did you? Okay, I think it might be the playthrough I'm talking about. Because, I mean, even this conversation right now, I liked it, but you're right. It's a playthrough. And it's like a two hour, 45 minute playthrough. Mm-hmm. And it's a, they do a good job of like recontextualizing the whole experience. And I don't know, I don't know the YouTuber off the top of my head. I watched Jacksepticeye play it, I think. Okay. Or Markiplier, I can't remember. 
if you go on YouTube and look up myhouse.wad, there's a, uh, you know what? I'll just do it right now. You power pack. I I'm not familiar with the, the streamer, but I feel like that is a film. And at what point does like a live stream or a, cause YouTube documentaries are so different. And a lot of it is that they're completely built in a computer. Like they're never on location or anything. They're amateurish. Well, the so the problem that Clark, the argument that we always get into is that he says they're not very cinematic. And I, you're right. Yeah. Because it's a lot of stock footage or like pulled and you're a lot of screen captures. I've seen a lot of horrible YouTube documentaries. <laughs> but I mean, House of Leaves, like how do you, how do you make House of Leaves something that somebody can digest just listening to you talk about it? And I feel like my house did a fantastic job of that. So you got to watch that. But also I feel like this applies to your movies where the first one was not as cinematic, but in this next one, kind of removing the chat, having a full screen and then the game development. Did you build? So did you animate or create a game? So for both, uh, both live scream and live screamers, I built games in Unreal Engine. Uh, Unreal Engine 4 was used for the first film. Unreal Engine 5 is used for the second. Uh, I am, as I said, not an artist. Uh, so I did not do the models and the textures myself. But I did um, basically purchase a bunch of assets from the Unreal Marketplace. Uh, and I built the levels in Unreal Engine and set programmed all of the things to go off. And with the first movie, this was really simple because it was meant to look like some, you know, shoddy game jam game that was sort of homaging, yeah. you know, PT and Slender and Five Nights at Freddy's and all these other games. Um, so I ended up building all the games for that in like three weeks. And it wasn't... Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it, like, they're so simple. Like, literally, if if the camera doesn't see it, it doesn't exist. Like, yeah. it, I, it was so threadbare and and really not playable. Only playable in the sense that I could record enough gameplay footage to put on screen, and then it was, you know, held together by spit and prayers behind the behind the walls. Uh, and then live screamers. I, that game took a very very long time to build in Unreal because even though it was also, um, it, it was also not necessarily a playable game in the sense of the only parts that exist are the parts that need to be on screen as well. It's very well lit. Uh, it's much mm -hmm. more detailed. The environments are very, very like well rendered and well realized. I also took a lot of effort to make like the frame rate right. I have MetaHumans, which is a free program that allows you to make really cool characters in Unreal Engine. Um, I've made meta humans of all my actors to be their in-game avatars because it's a multiplayer game uh and then you know rigging all the animations that all of the characters go through and everything um you know i purchased a lot of animations but having to put them on the meta humans and trigger them at the right times and all that sort of stuff took a lot of programming and it is a longer movie it's a 90 minute movie as opposed to you know a 65 minute movie so it's a, like 30 percent more you know on screen gameplay that had to be programmed and rendered for the film too so uh ultimately like from script to world premiere this movie took two years to make and uh about a year of that was post-production from from the editing and sound design and game development standpoint because it was meant to sort of mock or or, or, or pretend to be a triple a game as opposed to some you know crap you find on the dark web <laughs> yeah you yeah you did it yeah <laughs> I'm not joking. It's it's a hard thing too because video games it's like a different language. If it's if it doesn't feel intuitive, it doesn't feel right. 
And, you know, even though we're walking literally into like the Resident Evil mansion is the first thing I thought. Spencer Mansion. Yep. <laughs> it felt I don't know. It's you know how like it's either ripoff or homage, but it just felt organic. Like it just it felt like, right. I don't know. You yeah. did an incredible job here. And even though like the game, it wasn't ever really clear to me what the game was because it almost I'm like, is this going to be like an action game? But I think like uh, Man of Madon, like the it, it does fit in there perfectly. and. You know, playing with friends. Like, how many players can that game hold? Oh, Man and Madon? I don't even know. <laughs> no, your game. <laughs> oh, Live streamers. My. Yeah. Uh, let's say eight. That's what we did. In the, uh, so <laughs> up to eight, I suppose. Dude, that's tight. I want that game. <laughs> All right. So we got, uh, we got five minutes left with Michelle. She got a hard out. Yeah. So you got, I got one a, more question. I got a Korean left. barbecue with the girl who plays <laughs> Zelda. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I, you know, I just want to say, um, I think you're going to you're going to have a road of a lot of people who are film fans and you're you're showing them a video game and a lot of them are going to struggle with that but just know if they talk to you on terms of film it means you made it and that they don't even know that they've acknowledged that but they have and also know that like in-world camera fans are going to they're going to connect immediately and um I think you did you did a good job there's a lot of nuance here the game feels real uh, jump scares got me and you know honestly, <laughs> there's one in particular that I love because it always gets everybody and it's the silliest one <laughs> yeah and if it's what I think it, I'm pretty sure characters in the movie get annoyed with it too yes <laughs> yeah like all streamers would sure um yeah god I have so much I want to talk to you if you ever want to come back Please do. Because, I, I mean, I need to give you a pat on the back for even acknowledging mods in your chat to bring it back to the chat. Nobody <laughs> sure. else fucking does that. And it's such a huge part of it. You, pa you passed this chat <laughs> test, Michelle. This is something uh, I would hold near and dear. So, hey, how can we keep up with you? Are you still streaming or... Um, so these days I don't stream games that much anymore because I just don't have the time, but I do still have an active Twitch channel, twitch.tv slash Octopunk Media. I do Octopunk monthly update every month where basically I give updates on what's happening with Octopunk, our movies, where you can screen, uh, our movies next, all that sort of stuff. Um, you can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Octopunk Media. We've got trailers and behind the scenes stuff as well as a lot of older films. If you, if, if gay Detroit become human fan films sound like something you want to watch, <laughs> Um, all of them are on there. There's a feature and a short, uh, Damn. and also uh, a couple other short films like seven deadly Synths, um, which I am trying to make a video game of for my video game development class. Uh, Damn. and then, you know, all, all the social medias and Octopunk media pretty much everywhere, including blue sky. I got, an, I got invited to Valhalla. So come follow me on blue sky because Man. no one else is there yet. Yeah. I think, I think the unnamed footage festival is there now. Oh, what cool. I will call you on Blue Sky. <laughs> yeah, there we are. What is Blue Sky? I know it's a gas it's, station. It's but alternative, I uh, alternative uh, X Twitter. Oh, okay. Yeah, EX. Yeah, whatever. Another one. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for hanging out. Yeah, and this is great. I'm really interested to like follow your career, whether it be video games or film, because I really think there, there aren't many voices tying the two together. And uh, you, you're doing it. Hey, Russ is called media. Oh, I know you're right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, I mean, I'm planning on releasing the movie on uh, VOD hard copy and everything in the spring. So I would be happy to come back and talk more about it. And we could talk spoilers oh, please uh, do. on oh. that one once it's out to the public. We love to spoil. Yeah. Awesome. Please come back. <laughs> Thanks, Michelle.
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.